This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For your free trial, plus 10% off anything you buy, please visit squarespace.com and enter the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> What's the matter? Merlin, man. John. Ah. Oh, no, things are good. Things are good. You know, it's one of those, it's just one of those, like, um, how good can things be? You know what I mean? Yeah. How good can they be, really? Yeah. You know, There's you a comet. You, There's you, a comet coming. There's a meteor, giant meteor, going to wipe us out. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know about this. Yeah, how good can we feel? Is that a, is that a BuzzFeed thing? Should I, should I catch up on that? <laughs> I'm telling you what, if you were on Reddit, you would know. I. You've got to get off the Reddit, John. I've never been on Reddit. Oh, can you believe that? Um, I follow I'm, a Tumblr site that puts up pictures of cute animals from that site, but that's about uh, it. Yeah, every once in a while someone says I should do an AMA from Reddit. I thought you were going to do one. I thought I saw you scheduled for one of those. I don't think I ever was, but in any case, I, I don't understand the interface. I look at Reddit and it looks it's you know it looks like an organizational chart. Yeah. Uh, or like a like an outline for a for a term paper. Yeah, it's got a it's got a tree format. A tree format, right. And and you know what? When I first got on the internet, 1990 mm. uh, and I would go on the news groups, or rather I would go to the internet, I would go to a place where people were on the internet, and I would look over their shoulder while they were on the news groups, and I would say, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. What What is this about? And they were like, oh, see, you go over here, and there's a guy that tells you how to build a ham radio. I'm like, I mean, yeah, but I it didn't. It never appealed to me, partly because I didn't like the, I didn't like the way that it looked, like the way it was shaped. And Reddit's like that for me. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, uh, this is really reductive, but I I think um, I sometimes feel like you can break it down into these two general levels of interest and, and you think about a site like metafilter which is similar in some ways oh yeah mm-hmm. metafilter like some percentage of the time i'm most interested in what people have to say about the link but a lot of times i'm really most interested in the link right and and i think the thing that makes the internet hard for me to understand sometimes is that there are a lot of people who are way more interested in the comments than the link that's not mm-hmm. a judgment, but that mm-hmm. it is a real difference in some ways that they see the link as the jumping off point for providing opinion and having witty repartee. Right. You know, and I, I think I'm tend to be more interested in ruminating on the link. Yes. Pers- personally, by myself in, in solitude. Agreed and agreed. Yeah. I, I was thinking as I loaded up my briefcase today to come down here, my briefcase. You got a briefcase? Uh, as I was loading up my briefcase, I was thinking that in my dad's time, there is no, my dad put nothing electrical in his briefcase. <laughs> With the exception, perhaps, of a micro cassette recorder for, uh, uh, to dictate. Right. But there were no, there was no cabling of any kind in my dad's briefcase. He didn't have to, like, he didn't have to plug anything in when he got to work or got nothing, home. And nothing ever got plugged in. When my dad was at an airport, he never plugged a single thing in in his life. Wow. And as I am um, 
as I'm loading up my briefcase just to come down here to talk to you, and I'm like, oh, I got to get that other cable. And I go over and I get a cable and I stick it in, and then it's like, oh, right, and now I need that cable for that other thing. And I go get that cable, and pretty soon, you know, your briefcase is just like a, it's just a spaghetti of, of uh, different wires. If you x rayed it, it would look like a bomb. Yeah, right. And, and, uh, and, and it caused me to think that up until probably about, I would say, into the 90s, if your, if your work entailed that you were using electrical gizmos, it was a 99% chance that you were a technician, that you were, that you were a blue-collar person, and you had a briefcase full of gizmos because your job involved you doing some monitoring of some HVAC equipment. Right. And now it has completely flipped, and every, everybody is carrying around electronic equipment all the time. You are measured. In fact, your status is measured by how much gizmology you have in your bag, not how little. My dad never had a single, and no one he knew had a single gizmo. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. And it's funny because, like, as much as you get, like, a new laptop bag or a new briefcase in your case, you know, it's, we still haven't fully <laughs> adapted to that. Because when, you, when you're describing somebody who dealt with gizmos for a living, I'm not thinking about, like, a phone repair person. Yeah, right. He had a hard shell case. Well, he had a, he had a goddamn van. <laughs> he had a van. <laughs> I'm starting to think I don't need a backpack. I need a van. He had a van with a ladder on the top. Right. Yeah. And and it's and it, it, you know it's it, uh, the culture could have gone a lot of different ways. We could have gone. It's like that uh, that famous R. Crumb drawing of of uh, of progress, right? And uh, first it's a horse drawn carriage, and then it's a locomotive, and then it's phone wires and and uh, El Caminos. And more and more of the landscape is filled up with phone wires and encroaching technology right. and infrastructure. The, the sort of little or lesser known coda to that drawing were the, his three possible versions of the future. And one of them was like hover cars and, elect, and, uh, and sort of Jetsons houses. And one of them was a completely blown out landscape of, of just like dystopia. And then obviously the one that he... Per, this is hard. It's hard for me to reconcile this with what I know about R. Crumb. But the third option of his three options was a kind of ecotopia of yurts and tall forest and people you know a community of people living in a natural hippie style it's an option it's an option but it seemed to me that it seemed like r crumb would have he would have desired that the future looked like everyone wearing spats and straw boaters and playing the banjo actually how the future turned out <laughs> we are living in an R. Crumb dream future that even he didn't envision. In People 19- carry their Victrolas around with them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I but I, I I wonder. I mean, we went this way. I, do, do you remember the Osborne computer? I, I know of it. Uh, my my best friend in high school, his father was an early adopter, and he owned an Osborne which was the first briefcase computer that was the size of what it was is it was bigger than a than a tower computer right bigger than what we would call a desk or a um, 
what, what would you call that? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it's bigger than a desktop computer. It's 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 yeah. not not at all portable, but much smaller than the mainframe or mini computers that we thought of as being a computer at the time. Yeah, and the entire screen was about the size of an iPhone, uh, two disk drives, and they, he actually brought my friend brought that down to our brought it over to my house sometimes, and you know play, we played games on the Osborne. And to think that that is in a museum now. No, <sighs> oh, that's that's it. No, that is the- <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is once again sponsored by our very good friends at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. They make the whole process so simple. They have an easy drag-and-drop interface with beautiful free templates that you can tweak to suit your needs. All the Squarespace 6 designs are responsive, so they look great on every device. And Squarespace also offers free 24 by 7 support through live chat and email with dedicated teams based in New York City, Dublin, and Portland. Guys, I love Squarespace because they take care of all the hard and annoying stuff about running a website. I promise you, as a seasoned technologist, there's a lot of hard and annoying stuff about running a website. But with Squarespace, they handle all the front end, the back end, integration, design, SEO. You're free to spend your time doing nothing but putting up your own great stuff. Your writing, your photos, your store, your life. It's just the best. Crazy part is Squarespace plans start at only $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So please remember to tell Squarespace that you heard about them from your pals at Roderick on the Line. Because listeners of this program get a free trial plus 10% off any package they choose by using the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line. We could not do it without them. No, there are a lot of ways I could go with that, but I, I got tired of hearing myself talk. <laughs> I um, You know what I notice is, you know, everybody, um, not everybody I know, but but for, for probably all kinds of obvious reasons, most of the people I know have a smartphone of some kind. You got an iPhone, you got an Android phone, you got a whatever phone. But like in my neighborhood, um, which is mostly, you know, people from uh, Asia, a lot of Chinese people, mm-hmm. um, so, so many people still have like a clamshell, like a flip phone, a feature phone. Interesting. And it, it, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about that is, though, I mean, see, now I'm going to get all Irma Bombic again. But like the, the funny thing is, like, we, I get these uh, I get a new phone every, what, two years, three years, something like that. Um, you know, and, and as you've noted, you got to get the, the right can, the uh, right charging cables and you got to get all synced up. And uh-uh. it's it's a weird thing, though, that like these folks have the same roughly the same phone that I had before I got an iPhone. So, like, they've got, like, a, a mid-2000s level phone. Sure. It looks like it's been in, at the bottom of a fish tank for six yeah. years. A it's razor. Like, oh, well, in, in a lot of cases, like, those Samsung phones, man, you could, you could hammer nails with those things, those old Nokia phones. Like, they're, you know, they're really strong. And I guess those bands still work if you need to have a phone, and that's what people use it for. They, they, their interaction is they, they have that phone for phone things, and they talk on it sometimes, and then they close it up and put it in their pocket, and they sit on you and act like they're asleep. It's a thing. But, you know, I don't really feel like this is, this is just as insightful as your Osborne anecdote, I guess. But I, <laughs> I remember <laughs> that was a time. When, but I, um, why do we need more than three TV channels? What's the deal? <laughs> you got three, you got three VHF channels, you got two UHF channels. 
What, 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 else, what, what, what more could people do? You can only watch one at a time. What's the matter? Uh, but uh, you know, but you know, the, the one thing I will say though is that I, I I think that this might come out of certainly this comes out of the rapid pace of technology, and it comes out of my still, even though I'm getting to be older and I'm not as interested in new nerdy stuff by a long shot mm. as I was even five years ago. Even mm. now, still, I find myself like. I don't, I don't feel like things have gotten that much easier because by the time that all the bugs have been worked out of, you know, whatever iOS or OS 10 or whatever, by the time I'm getting the hang of that, there's a new one. And then I sit on that for a while. Are my backups still working? Is this thing still, oh, no, like my wife, my wife for the last three years has had 14 copies of every contact. My wife, my wife, my wife. Here's the thing with my wife. <laughs> she, she's got a, but, but I've gone in there and I have like once a year I go in and I definitively decide I actually have a built to purpose program. That will, that will help me locate and delete. But like her contacts now are so screwed up that she has, like she mostly has 14 copies of the same contacts. So she has something like 5,000 contacts. (laughs) Or in some cases, I guess maybe this app got it wrong. And now in some cases, she'll have a contact that has 35 email addresses from Mm. different people associated Mm. with it. (laughs) And and so now I'm just to the point where I open that up and I look at it and I go, you know what? We should just burn it down. Yeah, right. Burn the whole thing down. I want you to take this piece of paper, write down the the phone numbers and email addresses of five people that you really need and let's start over. Oh, no. You know, the thing to do is to, of course, to send an e- a, uh, a bulk email out to everyone in your contact list. Oh, you sent out a blast? <laughs> Saying, uh, reply to this uh, with, your, with your contact information because I dropped my phone or whatever. <laughs> right? Reply yeah. to this. And then, and then only the people that reply. Those are, your, those are your only true friends. I like those notes I get from people that I haven't even, I haven't, not that I haven't, I haven't talked to them. In 15 years? I haven't <laughs> thought of them in 15 years. I maybe had one interaction with them, like during the Clinton administration, and uh-huh. I still, every year or two, get an email from them with their updated contact deets. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's a, my, new, my new email address. Yeah. Like, your new email address? Who changes email addresses? Yeah. I don't know. That's ah, the march of time, John. Time marches I, on. I feel like I've, I, I've touched on this over the, over the years in talking to you, but... but but there, uh, but I want to say it again, <laughs> which is there which was is, a time, which is that that uh, 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 sort of uh, sort of elaborating on what I was saying a, a minute ago, that the we, we use the word tech and we talk about tech now like it is um, like it's kind of a new realm, right? Like. Tech, the tech economy. Uh, we think of tech as a as a thing that's only been around for fifteen years, um, and it can mean virtually it, anything. It can mean television set top right. boxes. It could mean an app on your iPhone. Uh, it could be it could be all these different things. And it's like we suddenly invented a way to use technology that we never had before. Yeah, yeah, and 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 like technology somehow didn't exist before, right. but but in fact, like. Over the course of, I mean, uh, just since the Industrial Revolution, there have been innumerable periods where where the culture at the time was fascinated by the new technology, right? Everybody, you know, the cotton gin or the or the machine rolled cigarette or the or the automobile, for Christ's sake, and the technology of the moment is super fascinating to people, and seems like it's revolutionized the way people conduct their lives. And then 
the, the kind of the dust settles and that technology becomes commonplace and people stop talking about it, right? They go back to the, the more important or more interesting business of talking about ideas or of talking about, I mean, politics even. And we're living in this, this kind of extended period where we're talking about tech and interacting with tech as though that is an, that is in itself culture. And oh, I get you it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, tech- yeah, yeah. It's like in the in the late seventies, early eighties. I think newspapers started realizing that people were dying, and so they started having a section in the paper called health. <laughs> and suddenly, uh, for the first time, you started seeing stuff about whatever peach bits of uh, curing cancer or whatever, and that became like a hot thing. And now today, it's not unusual to see a section anywhere of something called tech because people are using tech to look at tech, and right. now tech tech is its own thing. Tech is its own thing, and it, and and in a way, it, it, certainly in the in the little ghetto that we live in, like tech is the topic, and and. When I was younger, or I mean, when, when we used to prognosticate about tech, it was always that tech was going to facilitate the conversation. Tech was going to, you know, and, and that is part of the conversation we're having now, that tech is... But it's facilitating uh, a conversation about tech. Yeah, right. And I couldn't be less interested yep. uh, over, over time. This is an unpopular right? point of view, John. I'm glad we have a podcast <laughs> to talk about this. <laughs> I'm not putting this out. But um, but you know you know what I'm saying like I, I am, do I do I, I, it's I exhausting keep, I keep waiting for tech to stop being the topic and for because I do feel like ultimately it is but it lowers the quality of the dialogue I'm I'm I, I feel like I am down not that's that's a maybe maybe a uh, disparaging way to put it but I feel like I am I am talking to a bunch of people with the cables in their vans all the time, but that those people are are presenting themselves and imagine themselves to be part of the uh, like the the real like think thinking level. Yeah, of they're, people. they're Fermi in a van. Yeah, <laughs> Fermi Fermi in a van with the ladder on the top. <laughs> Chicks and ducks and geese better scary. When I'm in my Fermi van was, with the ladder on top. What I was terrified of, I had this terrible uh, realization the other day that. You know, you and I both um, have prepared our long lives to be uh, prognosticators and and thinkers and hosts and toasters and, you know, like we imagined when we were young that there was a very important job in the world, which was hard to get and really a prize when you got it, which was that you were a person with some thoughts about things that people wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And you were the, you were the voice or you were the, the, you were the, the, the thinker, the public person, the citizen artist. And I had this sort of terrible moment when I, I was reflecting back on the eighties when <laughs> As you do. Yeah, that's a terrible moment when you're from the. It's <laughs> a terrible moment when I I I, I remember uh, the spotted owl controversy here in the Northwest, and trying to tease out all the different sides of it when when it was really an, uh, embroiled here, and realizing that 
that the answer was that it wasn't possible to save all the lumberjack jobs. And the lumberjacks were protesting on the streets of Packwood or wherever the hell they lived. And they were saying, like, we're losing our jobs to this to this bird and to and what it really was was that we were shipping all of their work all their jobs over to to Asia we were putting the raw logs on boats and sending them to Asia rather than milling them here but the owl was a scapegoat but they were marching and saying like we are losing our jobs and and they they presented it as this kind of like i mean we can't lose our jobs, so you have to find another solution other than that we that we stop cutting down trees or that we you know and I remember having the the insight that like oh these are th- these jobs are gone the, the, these uh, there are there won't be these lumberjack jobs oh, like no amount of protesting will change the reality of that yeah the 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 sad truth and the and the truth that no politician kind of has the guts to stand up and say is like no it's already happened and it was the same with the auto workers in Detroit right about the same time like hey we're losing our jobs and these are good union jobs that we're paying $150,000 a year for us to lean on a broom and smoke cigarettes and we can't lose these jobs and it was like well yeah in fact they're they're already gone and you made a bad choice by leaning on a broom and smoking a cigarette, and it and it worked for a while, but now it's over. And 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 watching those groups of workers have the slow, dreadful realization that that there that it, there wasn't going to be it wasn't just a matter of going over and getting another job across the street. It was that the whole thing was done. And the ones that could adapt did, and the ones that couldn't are on Social Security right now and yelling about Obama. But this realization that you and I maybe have prepared our whole lives uh, imagining that what we do and what we can do was some kind of rare talent that, that the world desperately craved, and now we have arrived at precisely the moment when it is hardest which is to say middle age and i just am realizing like maybe maybe our jobs have been are starting to be outsourced in the sense that every teenager has an opinion and values it values it equally with ours and it's and it's no and they're better and they're better at engaging with the people who are primarily there to make comments who are going to make a lot do a lot of the heavy lifting for them, right? But and back to that previous thing. There's another thing in one of the, the many lost episodes that uh, people won't hear. We talked about college. <laughs> I don't remember when it was, but we talked some time ago, you and I offline about college, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's and and in particular in the context of college being something that was. You tell me if I'm putting this right, but for both of us and maybe for our generation, I guess, or for, you know, similar middle class white kids, college was something that was just you were going to go to college and every decision that you made on the way to going to college was primarily an opportunity to screw up your chance to go to college. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't something and again I'm sorry there's a bits of that that were really good. But uh-huh. but there, but no seriously though that there was that we both I think we both shared that sense that like every every 
um, known or unknown thing that was on the path for us was, well, for one thing, on one path. And here's right. that path. That path is you're going to fucking go to college. Right. An and, inexorable march. So you going out and drinking that beer, it's not just about you breaking a rule about drinking a beer when you're underage. It's about the fact that that could really screw up your your one opportunity to be something nowadays. And so the thing that in, in thinking about, I'm going to go a little bit John Roderick here, but in talking about what, what you're saying here, I wonder if one thing we lose or, or are losing or have lost in some ways, I mean, are there that many people that are really excited to go to college for the sake of going to college? It just, it feels, it, it's become so rote and so costly. And so, I don't know. I mean, there was a part of me that like, once I was in college, I was really into it because here's the thing. Yes, on some level, I thought of myself as a future Dick Cavett, but I also was really open to the idea that there was so much stuff that I knew the name of but I didn't know anything about it. And I was really open to the idea of someone saying, okay, well, you've, you've talked out of your butt a little bit about Shakespeare here. Well, how about you go read some of those? Mm-hmm. You've talked about these, these novels and these great works and these classics. Well, now you're going to read those. You're going to go see all these paintings that, that have been name-checked, and we're going to talk about them in context. So there was at least some part of me that was really open to being a vessel for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And taking, I'm not saying it had any great impact or I, I did particularly well with it, but I, I wonder if that state of mind is, is different or maybe if, if I, if I were, was unique at that time. I don't think I was. I think we were, I was, people like me were pretty hungry to go somewhere, not to be wrong, but to definitely be open to the idea that there was shit tons of stuff that I didn't even know I needed to know. And then mm-hmm. once I had that, I would be in a better position to conduct myself as an adult. And I wonder if, if, if that isn't unique, I wonder if that's still as pressing a feeling as it is today. Cause it, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I'm not trying to be an old man, but I, I do get the sense that there's less, especially as the idea of a canon has kind of withered on the vine mm-hmm. for better or for worse, sometimes for better. Um, do you think people still have that same feeling of going like, wow, I'm going to go out today and learn what I might be wrong about. I'm going to go out today and like figure out all these ways that somebody could set me straight a little bit. No, I don't. <clears throat> I don't think that, that that is the feeling because I don't think that there is a sense that you can be wrong about a thing. In the same way. I think that, that the, the idea that we had that you could be wrong, that you, or, or rather that you could be right, you could be more right, uh, was predicated on <clears throat> an understanding that there was a limited amount of knowledge, right? There, were, there was a canon. You went to college and there, was, there were still more books than you could possibly read in a lifetime, but you could read 10% of the books, and from that 10% get a pretty good picture of what the common understanding of truth was and i, I and i think that's i think that's completely blown out of the water now right everybody's got their own micro truth and in that sense i think college is over there's no <laughs> there's no reason increasingly i feel like college is is another one of these uh like tim, it's a it's a timber business where the it's already kind of over it's already over and people are still going because of um because of inertia or because i mean i heard a thing on um planet money where they were talking about the kinds of jobs that have the highest and lowest average incomes so for example if you're gonna if you, you if you know what a petroleum engineer can make you can go to college and say, well, I'm going to go become a petroleum engineer because there's a pretty good chance that for at least the next five to ten years, that's still going to be a pretty good gig. And I know I'm going to start 
in the in the six figures the day I step out of that program. Right. That that has but see, but that has a very what's funny about that, as as difficult as that work is, as smart as you have to be to do it, as as hard as you're gonna have to work to get through that, that is oddly similar to the same kind of vocational job that yeah. I, vocational training that I was completely not interested in when I was a kid. I did not want to fix I did not want to fix air conditioners. I did not want to fix cash registers. Those were not that was not, you know, work of the mind. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. And, and a petroleum engineer spends a lot of time looking at graphs, looking looking at printouts of, uh, you know, they're 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 setting off charges or sending sound waves into the earth and watching it bounce off of stuff, uh, on, uh, you know, different layers of of schist or or uh, feldspar, and then they're re- they're they're interpreting charts basically in the same way that a that a radio repairman is. Uh, they've just been taught how to do it. It's more complicated than, I mean, I'm not even sure if it's more complicated than, than tuning a crystal set, but it doesn't feel like the, it doesn't feel like upper campus, right? All that stuff at, at the University of Washington, there are the lower campus is where all the new buildings are. It's where all the excitement's happening. It's where all, you know, you walk into these, these buildings that have been, or old buildings that have been rehabilitated. And every wall has a little cluster of AV adapters and, and little hookups and USB ports. And, and, um, they're all purpose built for what people imagine or what people in 2009 imagined the modern classroom was going to be because we were all going to be PowerPointing one another and it was, you know, books were gone and, and science, 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 science. And then the upper campus is, is getting smaller and smaller. And it's this area up there where people are still studying poetry or, or, or like, I mean, can you think of a more irrelevant thing? Than, po- than studying poetry, but I mean the classic. <clears throat> the classic is like you know art history, right? Right, but but when I was when I was entering college, like those were precisely the things that interested me. Mm-hmm. Art history was one it's of my all time favorite class I had in college was twentieth century <laughs> painting. Yeah, one of one of four possible majors for me. Right, there were only four conceivable ones: English, philosophy, history, art. And and I I am one of a I mean I think entering freshman at the University of Washington now I mean even in 1985 I don't think that many of them measured in the uh, measured in the humanities but certainly a lot a larger percentage than are doing it now oh that's you know dude right there that's the real automotive industry because think about that perfect storm on the one hand I mean I, I you know, I don't want to overstate this, but I can already see that, like, when I was a kid, we had a music class. There was a gymnasium that you would go to to do gym things. <laughs> there were all of these things that were not strictly the academic stuff, but, I mean, you had a music class. You learned a little bit, play a little bit of an instrument, and learn about rhythm, and learn about George Gershwin, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm guessing that Copeland is not in the 
Common Core <laughs> in the way that it was when we were kids. So on the one hand, you got fewer and fewer people who are getting that every day. And let's be honest, we're not just talking about middle class kids. There are a lot of kids that would not learn about that stuff at home. They're not no. going to be listening to, to their parents, you know, eight tracks of the planets or something like that. <laughs> and then, you know, but then on the other hand, think about where the money comes from at a university, not just the tuition, but think about the grants. Think about sure. where that money goes. That's not going to be coming from, you know, the National Endowment for the Humanities, probably. It's right. going to be coming from Exxon. Well, and increasingly, universities get a lot of money from the patents that they develop. Oh, God. And, uh, so, I, and I don't want to give too much away, but but the I just had a very interesting meeting of, of this arts commission that I'm on. The music commission and the arts commission had a joint meeting, and we were talking about the kind of, we were, we were pie-in-the-skying, because we're the those commissions are doing a really good job in Seattle now and people are excited about them and companies are coming around mm-hmm. and and the and the the proposal was kind of like all right if we were going to envision a forward looking arts curriculum for Seattle public schools and we felt like we could present it to the world and and take money from people and and actually build it like not just build a curriculum, but build a, an academy not of the just, arts. Not just outline it, but implement it. Yeah, and really build a physical structure that has drinking fountains and and classrooms and is a place that that people go. And what would it look like? And we went around the table, and this is a th- these are the people at the commission are like all super altruistic mindset. Nobody's there to personally profit. It, it's it's a it's a lot of work to be on one of those commissions, and we're trying to make the city better. But every single idea was like, well, you know what we need? We need to you know we need a classroom on like video game design, and we need a classroom on like you know graphic art design, all this sort of design and and electronic music implementation classes where it's like we got to teach them how to use the tools the pro tools and the this tools and the art tools so that they can go out and like make commerce oh and as it as it but went it's around it's, the, it's it's without anybody saying it it's kind of driven by the idea of a market Right, the 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 commerce commerce word never got used. It was just that as we because the thing is nobody wants to say, well, the kids should be all every single kid should be forced to learn the clarinet. <laughs> oh God forbid! Right, I mean, all everybody on the thing wants to be contemporary. They want to give stuff. They want to have a curriculum that kids are interested in. They want to they want to be ahead of the game, ahead of their parents, and not. Yeah, not force the clarinet on a bunch of kids that are using their iPhones to make music. But in doing that, the whole curriculum was, as initially envisioned, was dependent on companies interacting with the schools and, 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 and sort of like predicated on the idea that we were giving them real skills and not a bunch of like nothing. So in order to attract that kind of interest, by which we mean corporate money, it has to appear uh, it has to appear very modern mm-hmm. and very practical. Right. So and that way Microsoft maybe will come in and give us five thousand zoons or something. <laughs> it's not about bringing in somebody with a bassoon every once in a while. Well, and so it, so so it, it, it kind of came around the table to me, and I was like, listen, it, I, like we have the opportunity to 
develop an arts curriculum with a capital A, arts. And I don't think that that is technology dependent. I mean, I think it's it's important that we do have a room somewhere where where we can learn how to use Pro Tools, and it's important to have a room somewhere where we can use, you know, learn how to use uh, Photoshop or whatever. Like, tech rooms are important for sure. Mm -hmm. But talking about art is already a mysterious project. It's Mm -hmm. already complicated and difficult. It's hard to even it's hard to even agree on what that means. I mean, I guess you could argue that's always been the case in the 20th century, but I think it's more than ever it's very difficult to come up with some version of art that doesn't either feel like dusty or full of charlatans. Yeah, exactly. Oh, thank you. Exactly. And yet without it, like we can't cede that ground to to uh, a dusty history, right? We can't say like provocative art is just a thing that has been colonized by uh, Russian mobsters, and it's all just Damien Hirst garbage now. Um, like we have to continue to have a language of art, and we have to continue to provide the opportunity for people to challenge us through art. What I mean, you know, I. And I reflect back on the Jesse Helms, like anti NEA, right? Uh, uh, hearings of the 1980s again. Fucking 1980s. God damn. It was them. the worst, John. It was the worst. So bad. But like this whole business of like what is art and and watching and actually being in a position, sitting at a table where I might have some small voice in determining some aspect of an arts curriculum in Seattle and realizing that I'm swimming against the tide, even to suggest that the arts are in some way, anything but a trade that the arts are something, something that transcend training and become a kind of theory and practice that it, that requires that uh, you know that requ- in some ways requires difficulty and requires that people be trusted and um and and really like turn them loose right if all they had were clarinets they would make something amazing with clarinets mm-hmm. and it it isn't it it doesn't matter that the tools be uh avant-garde or well, that it, it seems like know. it's at the very least a three-legged stool because if you had if think about you know when you've had music classes in the past or something like that i mean you could hand somebody i'm not gonna say clarinet because that's 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 not the best one to start with <laughs> but even if it's one of those god awful recorders <laughs> if you handed somebody a recorder and just showed them how to play scales and modes and maybe show them things about rhythm, time, signatures, and that kind of stuff. You would, that would, now that's a pretty fucking dusty class because all you're going to do is play scales. You're not going to actually make any music. The second leg of the stool has to be, well, now that we know enough, not even everything, now that we know enough, we can actually play hot cross buns or three blind mice, or whatever, whatever, whatever your regional version of that is. <laughs> and it's not going to sound great, but now you're making a little tune. Now, wouldn't it be great for the third leg of that stool to learn a little bit more about music and how people take those technical skills, apply the craft of this song that somebody has put together, and then what does that mean in context? 
Yeah. And <laughs> God damn it, that can mean so many different things. And I like I look at my kid and like right now she is pretty obsessed with making stuff all the time. Our house is upside down. There's glue everywhere. There's glitter mm-hmm. glue. There's origami paper on fucking everything. She's constantly cutting things up. Oh, it's oh, this is a thought technology. Glitter glue. It's glue <laughs> with glitter. Oh no. And boy does it get everywhere. Cuz if <laughs> cuz if you thought you had trouble getting glitter out of things, ask yourself oh. about glitter glue. <laughs> <laughs> it's like spray poo. You I know, don't want not, it. I don't want it. <laughs> but but no. But I mean, like I see this with her. I see. I really see it with her right now. Where she's she's teaching herself. She likes fancy writing more than regular writing. So now she sure. is tracing things in cursive and trying to teach herself cursive because she just likes the way that it looks. She writes letters to herself in cursive and then she illuminates them with with stamps and things that she's cut out of magazines mm. you know she i'm not saying it's great art but she walks around with a legal pad and a, and a pen now when we walk around the park and she she not very well but draws stuff all the time That's and great. like how long is she gonna have that how long is she gonna have that urge to just make move your hand and make stuff appear on a page and the thing is i mean I, i'm torn on the techni- technology issue because i do think of it as a class thing in a lot of ways mm-hmm. the thing is if you have an ipad in the house if you have a mac in the house like there are plenty of resources even crappy open source apps but you could learn to use logic at the age of 10 maybe sure. not pro tools but you could you can learn to do garage band uh, on an ipad that's all there i don't think yep. we need a track for that necessarily but there are a lot of kids that don't have that and you don't want to just put them on some you know 20 year old pc you know with some busted ass program that crashes all the time yeah but but i do think it's i do think all those things do work together it's and it's you know like like so many problems at least in my estimation we fall short when we get get too reductive about trying to focus on one aspect of it jesse helms did that by looking at bullets in a man's ass and saying ergo we should not fund art Right. You, you're, you're throwing out all these other things that are really valuable. But even when we, when we teach things, like it's, you have to understand that it starts with the, every little kid has a natural urge to make cool, stupid stuff. Sometimes yeah. it's about race cars. Sometimes it's about aliens. Sometimes it's about Disney princesses. But they have a, a, almost a compulsion to make that stuff. Well, and this, it, is, this is why I'm terrified of, of Minecraft, I don't understand I'm it. I'm a little so scared I, of Minecraft too. I, I'm not going to go booga booga, but I have yeah. kept her away from it because it, it, just just on the basis, I'm saying just on the basis of the elementary school and what T-shirts kids wear, yeah. it, it seems to become like an entire lifestyle to every a lot of girls, but especially every little boy around six seems to be getting like absorbed into Minecraft. Yeah, and and the language that adults are using. The the uh, the articles that I read about it in Wired and the articles that I read about it everywhere. Uh, are all you know really at at pains to talk about how creative it is and, collaborative. and how collaborative and how it requires i mean i read an article not very long ago that i'm sure everybody that listens to this podcast also read that said that minecraft actually increases literacy because kids are going on minecraft hack blogs and reading at reading above their reading level because they are interested in figuring out... They're passionate about it. They're passionate about it. And their passion is causing them to teach themselves to read on blogs. And I read this thing and I was just like, seriously, really? Is this where we are? Is this the, is this the, 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 the point in the conversation where... I mean, I feel like raising my hand and saying, um, maybe the fact that Johnny can't read is... is the, is the thing to address, not not to clap and, and praise 
Minecraft right. for teaching, for giving kids a reason to learn to read. I'm keeping my powder dry on this one. And, okay, I, and I'm, right. try, I'm trying to help you keep your powder dry. Okay, thank you. Because it it's a new thing. It, it's a new thing. But like, I, I guess there, it always seems like whenever something is new and we're not familiar with it, like you and I are not that familiar with it, we see nope. the worst aspects of it, which is the same thing that happened when people wanted to make computer games. Like, why don't you, why don't you go do your math homework? Why are you, why are you doing all these computer <laughs> mm-hmm. games? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in a way, that kind of this is kind of math homework. What, what I'll say is, and I, 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 don't, I, I don't have the numbers to say whether that observation about reading blogs is true. What I will say is my daughter is much more interested in reading something if she likes what she's going to read. Or oh, if it for gets sure. Her, like, and, and that started with us reading comics before she could talk to like now, she'll sit there with a comic book and I can see her and it's one thing that like I accidentally got right was the comic books because a kid's comic book has you can really look a good comic book you know has great art and you can tell the story it's sequential art and you can really suss out a basic story and then when you learn a little bit more about reading you can figure out some of the words and then if you don't know the word you can like try to figure out the rest of it in context but like think about it like you know anything where you really wanted something like you'll apply all of your devilish childish wits to trying to figure out how to get that thing so i don't know i mean the the argument is the same as as often gets used with musical instruments, right? I sat down at, with a piano teacher f- so from 1977 to 1981, and in the course of that four years of weekly piano lessons, I learned nothing because every week I was supposed to go na 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 and uh, like you eventually will play the Moonlight Sonata poorly. Yeah, I, I, and I had no interest in any of it, you know, and, and the argument that somebody should have sat down with me and gone like, hey, like, here's the basic, here's how, how to basically play, uh, uh, this Elton John song. Ding, 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 and give me a song and, and just start there. Um, is, it's very convincing because it's very convincing to me that that would have been a better method because it's not what happened. Right. And well, so it's easy enough to assume it would have worked. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I didn't like playing the piano and I didn't learn how to play the piano despite throwing tons of artillery at, at the problem. I never, I never took the beach. But if I had, if I'd been, if my teacher had been a long hair who had been like, here's how to play Elton John, man, get with the times, I can picture myself going like, yeah. But, in fact, the way I learned to play the piano was, well, actually, the way I learned was that I got hired in Harvey Danger, and that's not going to work for everybody. <laughs> but, but That's ev- a great story. Eventually, I came back to the piano on my own, and I sat down at it, and I started picking away at it because I, had, because I, because I needed to. And now I, am, I do play the piano, but I have no depth or breadth at the thing. Right mm-hmm. now, my my mom, by contrast, can sit down and sight read and play. She picked piano. that up as a kid. Well, yeah, because she was taught piano in the in the nineteen thirties or like 19th. back in the sticks in Ohio. Yeah, the, wow. the where where they where the where the teacher sat on a tall stool and hit you with a rod and. And on my, your broken foot. <laughs> my, my, my kick, kicked your broken foot until you learned to play the piano. Ow, ow, ow. But my, uh, my mom characterizes herself as having no gift. And she can sit down and play Tchaikovsky 
And I and I look at it and I'm just like, Mom, that's incredible. Like that's amazing. And she just dismisses it with a wave of her hand, like, "Well, I'm, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a poor musician, and the, I just was forced to learn this. I was forced to a- acquire this, this habit or this. But I mean, this it, was, technology. it was probably like learning long division. It's not anything where you go, "Wow, I, I really want to be able to work out some of this division I've heard on the radio." It sounds like work. Yeah, super. And I think she approached it that way. And when she sits down, she does play that music for pleasure. She likes to hear it and she likes to, you know, feel her fingers kind of figure out the patterns again. But she, her take on it is very, is almost completely absent of art. Right. 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 She just learned a thing uh, 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 by rote. And now she can do it. She sees the black dots on a piece of paper, and she knows that that means push down this key. Um, to my ear, it sounds beautiful. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it was like, uh, uh, like artful, but I mean, it's it's like she's playing this beautiful music from the page. And if she and I were both invited into a hotel lobby and someone said, would someone like to sit at the piano and entertain us? Like what my mom can do is a thousand times more useful in that situation than what I can do. You can play the commander thinks aloud twice. <laughs> yeah. I would sit down and be like, okay, I got three more stick around everybody. And, and so, I mean, honestly, the, the idea that, 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 um, that honey attracts more flies than vinegar. Is that the, is that the folk saying? Is that the Bill Clinton saying? You catch, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, I think is, is the folk saying. Yeah. Right. And so this idea that, that the way to teach people, the best way or the only way to teach people is by, um, you know, appealing to their, to their interests. It always, I mean, what it suggests to me is that that the earlier step of like establishing their interests was super duper important, and a lot of times that just comes. <laughs> but that, that that window is closed now. Well, yeah, or that, at least that, it's harder I mean, to pry open. The way the way that that window got established was that mom and dad were like, "Ah, just go play with the fucking iPad." Uh, while mommy and daddy talk or whatever, you know, like the, the initial establishment of the interests was not, I mean, most people don't take the care that you took to say like, I want you to get into this. I want to show you this, you know, I mean, most adults that I meet that talk about their kids talk about the iPad as, you know, sort of, they're, they're a little guilty about it. Like, uh, we, yeah, we give them the iPad for sure. Um, usually just to give us some space or some time to think or so we can you know. speak a paragraph this week to each yeah. other. Yeah. And so, and that is, that is like, that is Omaha Beach in this kid's mind. Like, here's the, here it is. Like, here, four years from now, we're going to talk about, well, the only way we can get Johnny to learn to read is by, uh, is by putting him on Minecraft blogs because that's his interest, <laughs> you know? That's where that's where his interests are, and it's like, huh? I wonder why that's true, and and it all seems very passive, right? It all yeah. just seems like we're just reacting, and all Johnny wants to do is is strum his guitar. So we're trying to teach him English by by you know having him learn songs in English. He's reading fake books. 
He's reading fake books. Um, I think there's a thread through this uh, that has probably been huge. <laughs> 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 that has been, I'm sure, much better articulated by people for centuries. But but there, there does seem to be a basic problem, which is, and uh, this sounds like the plot of some kind of a, a kids movie or something. Yes, 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 plot of a kids movie. But you know, the thing is, when you're when you're a grown up. And uh, you got a little kid, and you got all these ideas, and like some of the, some popular kinds of ideas are like, I you need to go um, take karate, or you need to go uh, go to soccer because there's character things, and you'll get exercise, and there's all these different things. But you know, whatever, there's there's a hundred different reasons why you would do something like send your kid to soccer, or importantly in this case, why you say I want you to take piano lessons. Mm-hmm. Now. The thing is, you as a parent see this in such a vastly different way. You see it as like, hey, maybe this could be the next Glenn Gould. Or you see this as, I wish I'd learned how to play piano. Or any of the dozens of other reasons why it seems like a great idea to kind of mm, kind of force a kid into learning a musical instrument. Right. Or learning uh, you know, any kind of crafty thing, going and taking drawing lessons. And the thing is, like, and I apologize for how obvious, obvious this is, but I think about it a lot. The way I describe what my what my daughter does, like my daughter is not sitting around thinking about making great sequential art. She just likes the way it feels to draw on yeah, the page, I yeah. think. I think she likes smooshing her hands around in the glue. I think she likes the way that feels. And I, I think it's it's important to I – don't, I don't know how to do this, but I feel like it's important to give, give opportunities for people to play like that. And I think about – you see me on your piano. I call it the Wolverine chord, right, where mm-hmm. I, I hold my pinky with my thumb – and I play triads with my three middle fingers. Mm-hmm. You've seen me do this. Shink. Well, that <laughs> snicked. God damn it. Snicked. Sorry. Wilberforce. <laughs> but you, but, but like, that's how I learned. I learned because I wanted to be able to, like, I just thought that was fun. I'd sit around, you know, at downtime, uh, you know, at church events. We'd hang out and, like, play, try to figure out how to play songs on the piano just because it was fun. It felt good. It sounded good. You could play loud. You could bang on it. It was play much yeah. more than it was learning. I'm not saying I'm, I'm any prodigy at piano, but I see this in my daughter. So yeah. my, I brought my acoustic guitar home. It's been at the office forever. I finally brought it home so we could, you know, it's fun to just play around. I thought a long time ago, I thought, oh, we'll, we'll, play, we'll play songs and sing together. But what she really likes is, well, I'll send you a photo of this. She likes walking up to it and kind of banging on the strings, standing over it on the stand like almost like it's a cello Uh and i've shown her how to do two chords that she can mostly replicate the one she's best at is in a5 that was the easiest chord i could think of in terms of you know the the strings aren't too hard to press down you know the two middle strings at the second fret and uh and then i showed her uh after that showed her an e minor and she's not great at it, but she, mm-hmm. she, she will stand in front of the guitar, facing the guitar, and with the totally wrong fingers, push down mostly the right places right on the fret, which drives me crazy because it buzzes. But she sits there, and she plays these little chords really shitty, and then she goes into this crazy D. Boone thing where she just keeps going up and down and bang. And you know what it's like to be a little kid playing with a guitar. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I put it out of my mind, like this guitar, the strings are going to break, the guitar might break, but she has so much fun just banging around on that. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that'll, if anything Playing ever... Playing like Jeff Healy. Je- I was thinking more like Stanley, uh, Stanley Clark. <laughs> Stanley Jordan? Oh, yeah. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Stanley Clark Jordan. <laughs> Stanley Clark Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's his married name. Yeah, you should but, teach her. Uh, yeah, just teach her some. Teach start teaching her songs. But like you know, it's it's they're, such they're, a strong persuader. <laughs> well, I think what you're getting at is this is this is this crucial thing. I'm trying which to make is, it not about me. I'm trying to remember like how fun it is to just fuck around and have nobody sitting there correcting you. And just if she wants to bang around on that guitar, like go ahead, go nuts. And sometimes I will say, hey, you want to see this other chord? Do you want to see this other thing? 
maybe I'll get her a guitar for her birthday. I don't know. She didn't love the piano we got her, but she's going to play and it'll be mm. fun. And there's not going to be any pressure for her to, I, to become Segovia by the time she's eight. I think it's more, I think it's more, probably more fun for her to play on daddy's guitar than to have one of her own. But like I, a big part of this is, this kind of dovetails with this, this idea that there's nothing new under the sun, but that, that so much of, so much of making art is reinventing the wheel and you can sit there and, and shape their little hands and, and, and teach, 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 teach like, like art is a thing that can be known. And I think that that is in a way really an important part of the process. But then there's that other thing, which is at a certain point and, 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 and I, I think the jury's out where that point is, but you have to reinvent it somehow. You have to you have to act as though um as though it's like beyond Thunderdome and you are a tribe of kids living in a in a uh, like a a little valley that's separated by a great desert. Uh-huh. And it is the dying time. And the and you are you are inventing your culture with just the faintest memory of what the what came before you, right? Well, that, it, has, it has to feel like your own, even if it's your own cover of the Kinks. There has mm. to be something about it. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but like, I think part of it is that it really feels like some kind of transplanted culture when you try to, to to pop this culture into a kid like an Atari cartridge and then expect them to go, oh, ah, Bach or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you can you can see the kids in in rock and roll, the kids in their twenties now, whose parents. Put them in Nirvana T-shirts when they were three years old, uh, eighteen years ago, right? I mean, you can kind of see them. You see them even. I'm sure. Uh, like there, there are a couple of kids uh, in my daughter's preschool who have uh, mullets, if you will. You know, like <laughs> their parents are trying to push them toward being cool from a very young age. In the hopes, I think that being that if they are cool, that uh, that they won't have heartbreak or they won't have problems growing up. Like the solution, the solution to so many problems is to just be one of the cool ones. Mm. And I mean, and that is that's that's uh, that's painful and true. Well, yeah, that's really well it's, put. It's so different from my approach, which is to say you are going to be a nerd. I'm going to force you to be one. It's going to suck. And through that, through that heart, <laughs> that heart, those many, many hard years, you're going to grow up to really appreciate, um, how, how fun it is to be an adult. It's and like not a boy named Sue, but with pain. <laughs> not, not have your dad, not have your dad forcing you to take you're Taekwondo making, you're, lessons. You're, you're helping her understand <laughs> that she will be an outsider. Yeah, right. And, and because, you know, being an outsider, well, I mean, ultimately, like, she's going to decide, right? And, and she's already decided that what she's going to be is a princess. But, and that's wonderful because uh, uh, my understanding is they make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's good doing being a princess. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, the, but watching, I'm, I was, Facebook came through my feed the other day i somehow got on facebook again <laughs> i found the key under your mat <laughs> i'm really trying to curate my feed i'm not reading the news on twitter anymore i read i i i signed on 
uh, to the internet the other day. And uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna you go sign on to the internet. Sign on to the internet. And I said, I'm gonna go over. You went down to the cold room, opened the cage, went yeah. in, put in your I'm, key. I'm gonna go over to Twitter and see. And I'm, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go over to Twitter. I'm gonna read the news. I haven't done it in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna just gonna read my news feed and see what I come up with. And I huh? got over there and I started reading and I. I read a couple of things about the Ukraine that were interesting, and I saw a couple of things, you know, uh, the, uh, about this and that that I thought were, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And then I clicked on uh, a, a retweet of somebody's, and I read somebody's blog post, and I was like, well, okay. And that blog post was in response to another blog post, so Dave I went Chappelle. and read that. Dave Chappelle. About the Dave Chappelle thing. I read that last night. That was a good link yep. you retweeted. It, and and that, I thought that that person's writing was really I great. Both, I thought both pieces were, were, were very nuanced. The, yeah, it was, a, it was a fascinating conversation. And gutsy. But it, and gutsy. Gutsy, and it, but it got into a little bit, you know, where my stomach was starting to get butterflies because I was like, "Well, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't, I don't have a comment here. I'm just, I'm just, just reading the news, just <laughs> Cause, reading." Because in your head, you can just imagine the thousand different kind of like intellectual bum fights that are going on about yeah, that. Absolutely, and you're like, you just don't want to watch two drunk guys hit each that's, other. That's exactly like, right. You know what I, mean? I, I, you like, know what I mean by bum fight? Like, I just like it's just people representing the absolute worst yeah. <laughs> point of view I, on either I, side of this are just going to be. Hitting each other with sticks. I very studiously did not read the comments on either blog. You know, I didn't want to go down. I just read the. I just read the blog. You didn't see any like, reaction gifs. Just didn't. Didn't get. Didn't. You know, just staying away from it. Staying away from it. And then I. And then I'm. So I'm. I'm back up uh, to the surface of Twitter, and I'm reading along. And uh, and then there's and Hodgman has a little uh, link to his Tumblr, and I click on it, and it is a graph of. The all the Johns that have influenced each other, and all the Johns that are that make a very interesting little cluster of Johns. I hope that was a first draft. And it said Flansburg, Linnell, mm-hmm. Stewart, Hodgman, Colton, Hodgman, Colton, and. I'm just innocently looking at the fucking news for two seconds. And I click on a friend's link, which was a, a link that he was, that was just somebody made and he was retweeting it. I'm sure he didn't do that. And, and now I, I've only been on the news side of this thing for, for honestly two minutes and I feel bad. I've seen a thing that made me feel bad. Right. And I just closed it all down and was just like, why did I go and read the news on Twitter? I am trying to. I'm trying to not have those feelings, and and the internet provides so many opportunities. But you handled it well. You did exactly what you should do. You, you, it sounds like you came into out. it thinking maybe it'll be different. I've had some yep. time away. This yep. will be a fun thing. Yep, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to read some stuff. I'm going to learn about the news. I'm going to see people making things. And so, But anyway, as I closed down Twitter, I went over to Facebook. I had not had enough. Ugh. I had not had enough, Merlin. I went to Facebook... And I, and for whatever reason, the Facebook like alchemy of just like, oh, what would you like to see today? I mean, so they're like the room temperature dessert of your online meal. <laughs> they are just like, would you like some flan? That's the one kind of dessert we have. No, 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 that's not true. We have flan and we have uh, noose. Here's the we one surprising thing. Noose. The one surprising thing you need to know today about flan. 
And I get over there and and the person's website that I go to, or the person's Facebook page that I go to see is a guy I haven't thought of in years, some guy I went to high school with, who uh, he was a bro when we were in high school. And I am deposited on his Facebook page, and he is a bro now. He's an Alaska bro. He has a, he, he's a 45-year-old man with a goatee. Not a mustache either, like just a chin goatee. And his 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 Facebook page is just picture after picture of him wakeboarding, and of him uh, doing some more wakeboarding and other kind of you know, and him holding a giant salmon, and him uh, you know with his arm around his like embarrassingly much younger wife, and then him with his two adorable little like kindergarten age kids, both of whom have super cool dude haircuts. And his dad had a permanent sneer on all through high school and, and college, you know, like a, like the kind of smug sneer of somebody that, that had been born with money. Sounds and like a little bit of a pan man. He's sort of a pan man, but, but much more, but like in Alaska, that version, he's, he's grown into being a pan man. He was a skinny kid. Now he's kind of a, now he's, he looks much more of like a pan guy but whatever his job is i don't know it's some it's probably something in the financial sector or maybe he sells bulldozers or something he's he's doing well he's a successful guy and every aspect of his life looks amazing if you're if you are judging your adult life on the strength of the aesthetics of a bones brigade vhs tape <laughs> from 1984 Right, like he's the grown he's a grown up skater. Alaska style. And I'm I'm looking at his Facebook page and it's just like my head is just spinning. I've just come off of this two minutes on the internet where I where I got confused and delighted and then ultimately like sad. And now I'm over here, I'm looking at this alternate history of my life where it's like i know this guy like i haven't seen him in 15 years but i know this guy we grew up together and i'm looking at his life as presented on facebook and it's causing me to it's causing my stomach to churn and i'm i I feel lightheaded i'm wondering if if i would have been happier if i had just gotten really into wakeboarding because because it seemed too good to be true, or you're somehow slightly envious of his of his uh, bro lifestyle. Not Just that the fact seemed, that the fact that it all fits together so well. Not that it seemed too good to be true, because I know that it is exactly as it seems, and that you can't lie on Facebook. You can't exaggerate well, there. Well, except that except that I know this guy, and his adult life looks like his teenage life. It looks like his. It looks like his. This is the life that his father provided for him. Right, there were all kinds of guys at my high school that like had brand new Chevy Stepside pickups when they were 16 years old. And did I ever tell you about? There was a kid at my high school who drove a 57 Corvette to school. What? And the license plate was a personalized license plate that said "THX." Thanks, thanks, Dad. Right, so dad bought him the Corvette. And then got him the plate. Got him the plates, had to have. 
Like the ultimate, just like, here's my son, and I'm going to make him simultaneously the coolest kid on campus and also the world's biggest fucking chode. Like, it's, I'm, like he's, it's like giving your kid an iPhone, like, and the wallpaper is, is you giving him a thumbs up or something. Yeah, right. It's the, it's the, original, it's the original just like, you are always going to be under my thumb, kid, so never forget it, right? Thanks, Dad. Thanks, oh. Dad. And, and it's, a, it's a thing I think rich dads do. To when you know to like make their sons, I don't know. Like to it's a maybe it is a a an Agamemnon thing where you just like keep your son down because you're afraid he's going to kill you and and have sex with your wife. <laughs> um, but but in any case, like this was the problem when I was growing up. All the the kids that were successful in Alaska were kids whose lives. Uh, like their ambitions were to to uh, uh, w- seemed incredibly simple, right? The, the, there's no neuroticism in the life of a guy who goes from wakeboard adventure to wakeboard adventure. Not not a big hand ringer, right? Like Laird Hamilton does not he he mourns the death of his friends who were killed by a big wave. But he's not, yeah, he doesn't wonder, or you presume that Laird Hamilton does not wonder about his his purpose or whether he's doing a good job. And that neuroticism is the thing I want to exorcise from my own life. It's the thing that mm-hmm. I am the least interested in anymore about myself. And so I go on this guy's website and I'm like, not website, Facebook thing. And nothing about his actual existence intrigues me except what I perceive to be the simple like like monoculture of it. Just like he well, It seems no- like he's got several successful doctorates in being 18. Like he's he's a very accomplished, he's reached the highest level. He's like a 33rd level monk of of being a teenager. Yeah, he's made right. it work. And then from there, I mean, I, as I was driving down here today, I passed by the bus stop uh, that's down at the corner of my block, and Skeeter was sitting out there rolling a cigarette. And Skeeter wears one of those Peruvian hats with ear flaps, and so and so he's unmistakable because I'm, you know, like how many guys are rocking that look right now? So I'm driving by the bus stop and I'm seeing Skeeter, and it's eight thirty in the morning, and he's rolling a cigarette. And I had that consciousness, having formerly been a smoker and a drug addict, that like, oh, right on, Skeeter's having his first smoke of the day, or maybe it's his second. But like, he's marking his day, he's marking his passage through the day, one cigarette at a time until he can get his first drink or his first hit of dope, which might might have happened already. And, you know, it's like you're marking the day, cigarette, cigarette, toke, cigarette, 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 beer, toke, cigarette, cigarette, toke, toke, beer, 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 cigarette, beer, cigarette, beer. And then the day's over. And and that's there's something very comforting about that and reassuring. Like you always you, you always have as you're stubbing out the last cigarette, you have the next cigarette on the horizon. And you just are kind of leapfrogging lily pad to lily pad throughout the day. And you never are just at sea wondering, like, 
How am I going to make it? How am I going to make it to dusk? And, and this guy whose Facebook page I was looking at is doing a version of that with his life. It's just like jet ski, jet ski, toke, toke, TV show, TV show. Kid haircut, kid haircut. Kid haircut, haircut. And then, and then now he's got kids. So then it's hockey practice, hockey practice. And his goal is to make his kids really good hockey players and really cool kids in high school. So that's his new project. And there's no, there's no neuroticism. He never second guesses it. He never wonders if he, if that's the, if he's doing the right thing, his kid comes home and he's like, yeah, dad, there was this kid on the playground and he's a real fag. And I told him to fuck off. And his dad's like, yeah, Yeah, like there's no, there's there he's never ever going to say like well son maybe you should walk a mile in that kid's shoes i mean it's just sim- or, he's, or he's not even sure how to approach the topic like right, that, or, that, you know like not only do do i want to give you this really kind of like mushy advice that's hard to understand but i'm not even sure how to talk about this yeah no it doesn't even, do that <laughs> doesn't even pop into his head it's right. just like oh some kid was a fag and you told him to fuck off that's right and that Br- brewskis, you know, that brewskis, <laughs> that simplicity. Uh, you know, it's so it's so ugly. It's so um, it's so like dark to me. But it's but <sighs> my own darkness is such a drag. I, I haven't seen this page. I haven't been, I haven't been in this particular <laughs> corridor. Um, uh-huh. But I'm I'm gonna uh, uh, cheer you up by making this dark. Um, okay. I I said something a long time ago, um, which is something along the lines of uh, if you want to learn what somebody fears losing, watch what they photograph, which I think is really it's kind of true. And you go, oh, I'm worried about losing my lunch. Burp, burp. But no, seriously, <laughs> if you look at that, and so my only addendum to that today is, and I don't think this is just about Facebook, but I maybe this is just that I become a darker person. But I think also sometimes. When you watch what people photograph, or put differently here, when you watch what people put on social media, it might be the thing they fear, most fear losing. But it, I think sometimes it's the thing they fear may not love them as much as they love it. Mm-hmm. Or it may be the thing that they have equivocal feelings about or complex feelings about. And one nice thing about a photograph that you put on a page, or one nice thing about a succession of photographs of your absolutely perfect vacation, is that it cements in your mind the idea that this went a certain way. Mm-hmm. And meets a certain story. And I'm honestly, I'm not trying to bag on this guy because I do this. Everybody does this. When I take a picture of my kid and put it somewhere, it's because this feels like emblematic of what I think things are, how this, how this thing is happening. Whether it really is happening that way or not, but increasingly the way we uh, take photos or tell stories or put things in social media are a way of like telling ourselves a story that helps make our life make more sense. And you can call that branding, you can call all this other stuff, you can call it whatever you want. But I think sometimes when you put that stuff up, it may be that, that he has more complex feelings about those things or worries that those things have complex feelings about him, setting aside his, uh, what's it called, his starboard? What's it called? His boogie his boogie night? What's it called? Uh, uh, wave, yeah, wave surf, border? Surf wave, wave raker. His wave yeah. runner. But I think sometimes that becomes a way <clears> – <throat> I mean, nobody – there aren't that many people who primarily put up photos of their kid being unhappy or sullen. 
because that's not the story that you want on the books. The story that you want on the one on the books is that we had a birthday party and it went okay, at least in mm-hmm. this one photo. Mm-hmm. How many photos? I mean, like my daughter's fourth birthday party. We had a blowout birthday party for her at the park and there was stuff. And like, and she was like crying and running away from the group the entire time. And that's, that's <laughs> honestly how the birthday went. I got a funny picture of her dressed as Spider-Man because it was a cool costume she got. But, but you know, it's all that shit in life is so much more complicated than you can put into a Facebook post that's going to get a lot of thumbs. And, and that's not a criticism because it, it, but it's a new way of telling a story about ourselves. Whereas it used to be a really big deal. I had my picture in the paper when I was about six. Um, and that seemed like about the biggest thing in the world. I was photographed at a library, uh, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And that became really like this thing we showed people. Look, look, I must, I'm important. I'm in the paper. Here's me like reading a microfiche or whatever. And I don't know. I guess I, I, I feel like it's not anything against that guy. It's not just to, to, to chuck you on the shoulder. I think everybody struggles with this stuff. I think everybody looks at other people's stuff, not purely in the sense of envy, in the sense of, oh, I wish what they had, or je- I wish I had what they had, or jealousy, I wish I had it and they didn't, or boy, that guy's a tool, how's his life so together? That's, that's what you put up. That's, what you, that's the version that you print, because it kind of expresses hope about how the world can be. And, and so like, I think you have to take all that stuff with a tremendous grain of salt. You know, yeah, because I, people I, tend to be super duper positive about lots of stuff in public until they get really scared. And when they get scared, <clears throat> I think when people tend, when people get scared in life is the time they tend to be most honest about or most forthcoming about what they really worry about. But most of the time, you'll do anything you can to not have to talk about that. And that's what those pictures are. That's what those, those boogie boards and haircuts are. It's an opportunity to say, like, this is the world as I hope it is. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I went down a rabbit hole of talking about this guy where, you know, I, I tried to make it one of my core competencies that I have empathy for bros, right? Like they, uh, like I'm, I'm, I am profoundly aware that they are human beings and that they're, that they're not monsters. And, and, um, this guy, their, their pleasures are simple. (laughs) Yeah. And this this guy is, you know, in, in a way like a guy I know well, and, and even somebody, he was never a friend, but, what was a guy that if I was back in Anchorage and I ran into him at a bar, I'd be glad to see him. It was, um, and so the way I was describing my experience of, of watching him was what, you know, I, I got a little, um, I got a little shitty about it. And, and really my experience was a hundred percent internal and had nothing to do with him. He, um, who knows what his life is like? I don't even know what his life is like, was like when he was 16 years old. Right. Um, but, you know, my experience of sitting and studying, not the Facebook page of somebody that I know well, not the Facebook page even of somebody that, that, I'm, that I'm interested in how they're doing, but I landed on the Facebook page of somebody that I am not I, 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 I'm not transacting anything with them, nor will I ever again. And you're, and you're so, not even thinking about them too much. Yeah, and wandering through, as you say, the, their their idealized presentation of their life, and seeing even in their idealization of their life, nothing to interest me. Only things to critique and judge and feel, and and uh, ultimately critique and judge myself against. You know, because I did not, I didn't come away from that feeling that, um, that I, in a way, yeah, I, 
I've always preferred my worldview or methodology to those guys, those old friends of mine from, from Alaska. It's why I left Alaska. It's why I never felt like it, I, I truly belonged to that culture. But I, I was critiquing myself against that incredulously in that it feels like that's a that is that is a way of living it's a and a, and a valid one and when he gets to the end and looks back at his life he's not going to probably burden his kids on his deathbed with a lot of talk about all the things he wishes he'd done you know that that one of what i think as i get to be a middle-aged person my great great fear the worst thing i could do to my kid is to start start now saying things like well i could have we could have lived in hawaii but it didn't work out that way or i i wished i'd you know i wanted i there was a time i thought i maybe i would do it make a television show but it didn't you know kids love boring and irrelevant stories that are ultimately really sad <laughs> right and the thing is you know this was the this was as my dad got older we had a lot of these conversations where he was like, well, I should have been a senator. And I would say like, dad, stop it. Shut up. What are you talking about? Like you're, you lived an amazing life. And you know, this, like this, these uh, sort of niggling regrets. And that's what I don't want. That's how, that's what I don't want for myself. And, and I guess ultimately like the, 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 the passionate feeling I had about this guy's Facebook page that caused me to like finally turn off the internet and stay away from it was that I was contrasting my self doubt against his right and, and perceiving at least that he had none. And I don't think you could, I don't think you could even go on my Facebook page and perceive that I had no self doubt. Um, but that, but that, that self doubt. What the? What good is it? What is the evolutionary advantage of it? I don't know. Yeah. It. It. And. 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 It I, seems like all, all the. I. I would like to think, in the Facebook of my mind, that the self doubt that I am utterly riddled with has, in practical terms had most of its usefulness wrung out of it already. Right. All, all the times that I could have used um, that self-doubt, uh, I feel like You've that's pretty it. exhausted. And, <laughs> yeah, and now right. I, I need some of the other stuff now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's it. Just, that just, is precisely just for a month. It. Give me a month. Give me a month with the opposite of self-doubt. I'm grateful that I had it because it made me into the person that I am. And that is, I think, in the long run, a good thing. The self-doubt that I had contributed to me being thoughtful. But I'm fucking done with it now. Please. Like, I would like to just act and eat and poop and live and not brood because the, the, the rate of return is like at zilch now on brooding and so maybe i need to just start banging a tambourine right it's really is a fantastic time for technology thank god we've got it (laughs) 
world right to your doorstep. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All, all the bills for phone stuff that we pay, all the internet is so that we can go and find new ways to be completely riddled with self-doubt. Yeah, I, and, and seriously, stopping watching the Twitter feed has made me happier. Absolutely. And taking Facebook off my phone has made me happier. There's no question about it. And so... I, I I I keep coming I keep coming maybe back to um it's like it's like it's like stopping eating sugar. Right. Then then Friday night you have an ice cream because you feel like you've you've deserved it. And then you're kind of back on the sugar train and, and the and the the feeds, the various feeds out there that are trying to pitch lives to me are just they're the they're mind sugar. And that is so antithetical to to the story that we're being told by tech that that these things are are just they're making connect, they're connecting us that they're that they are I mean the 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 implicit lie of all this stuff is that it's making us closer to other people and yeah a lot of times it's just making us it's making us further from ourselves yeah exactly and Ugh. and 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 what's terrifying is that there there's a part of me that's like well for instance I just got a Sonos system. Uh, oh right, the Sonos, the home speaker thing. Yeah, I got a Sonos home speaker thing, and I and I spent a whole day setting it up in my house. And I'm not somebody that listens to a lot of music around the house, but all of a sudden I got like this really interactive stereo system, and we had a really nice weekend at the house because there was music playing in every room all of a sudden, where there had never been. Where that had never been possible. That's so cool. And I was like, you know, this is very interesting. Like, this is um, this is a new, kind of a new take on this. And I'm, and unfortunately, like, I only have four albums on my <laughs> iPad, so I'm just listening to these four albums over and over. Two Phil Collins albums, and then the two other ones. <laughs> well, yeah, and then there's that. Then there was that one. It was I got the I got oh, the, got the box. U2. Did you get the U2 record? <laughs> I got the box set of the early Duran Duran records, and unfortunately what that meant is there's like seven different versions of Hungry Like the Wolf, because there's like the Berlin mix, and there's you get the, like Planet Earth in Aramaic. And somehow I couldn't figure out how to arrange the cue so that it wasn't playing things in alphabetical order, so it just played Hungry Like the Wolf like seven times. Um In every but, room. Uh, in every room. In every room. But, you know, but it was really exciting, and 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 right away I start to think like, hmm, maybe I should download one of those apps that allows me to um, raise and lower my garage door opener uh, from my phone. Uh, and then I was like, I don't have a garage, first of all. And second of all, like, no, stop. Stop it. Leave it. Leave it. Do not turn, do not hook up your security system and your house lights to the internet. Like, don't that technology is still in beta and you are not an early adopter of that shit leave it i am not german and your skin is so tight is that what he says 